Welcome to At Home with Kelly and Tiffany, where naturally-minded women gather together as we pursue simplicity and confidence in health alternatives so we can show up better in our busy lives and feel more at home in our bodies. Join your favorite home birth midwife duo for conversation, candor, and community. You're at home with Kelly and Tiffany. Hello. Welcome. I got a flashback to a Saturday Night Live episode where they were doing, like from the late 90s or something, where they're doing a radio show, and that's how the women talk. Oh, hello. Would you like to see what's in my garden today? The answer is yes. I would like to see what's in your garden. That's what this episode is about. Welcome to Thyroid Testing for Women. Explained. This is a common question we get, and I think a common misconception, and a drastic underperforming, underserving of women in so many ways who are told, yes, everything is normal with your thyroid after testing, when either one, it's not actually normal and the values that are being used are wrong, or two, and most commonly, there's one particular piece of information that's received about the thyroid in testing, but not an entire panel. And you just can't get a full picture with one value of what the entire thyroid is doing. So a lot of women are walking around thinking that their thyroid is actually normal or having lots of symptoms of thyroid stuff and thinking that maybe they might be crazy because their thyroid comes back, quote, normal, but it's actually not. Or women are like, okay, yeah, 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 I know I need to get my thyroid tested. Next time I'm in with my PCP, I'm going to be sure I get my thyroid done. And I'm going to tell them, don't test just a couple things. I want the whole panel. And they don't know exactly what they're asking for. And so then their provider's like, okay, I'll do TSH and T4. You're welcome. Working so hard for you. Yes. So we wanted to take a moment to explain the entire panel, what you are looking for, and help you feel like you have more confidence as the consumer of your health. It's going to be a great, great episode. But before we jump in, we have a listener question. Thank you, listener. This is what this listener said. I've relied on melatonin supplements for sleep for three to four years and struggled with falling asleep my whole life. Step should I take to get off the melatonin supplement and be able to fall asleep on my own consistently? I'm sorry. Sleep stuff is just worst. It is brutal because it affects absolutely everything. Yeah. And melatonin in particular can be helpful in certain circumstances, but relying on it in particular nightly in particular for this long definitely can impact what other hormones are doing and what the body is deciding to do in trying to fall asleep. So it sort of is a crutch that ends up messing with other pieces. Yeah, and everybody says melatonin's not habit-forming, but let me tell you something. Anything can be habit-forming. You can create a habit out of anything. You have somehow associated mentally and emotionally melatonin being the help you fall asleep, and it does a good job at that. You formed a habit. Yes, whether that's a, like physiological or psychological habit, right? 
So there's a ton of things that you can start to implement in terms of falling asleep on your own consistently. One of those pieces of actually getting off the melatonin supplement is trusting, kind of going off of what you're saying, that you will be able to sort it out without the melatonin supplement. There's a piece of that psychological aspect of sleep that in your head, you all of a sudden are... I'm a bad sleeper. I can't do this, right? And it's this cycle in your mind that is telling you what maybe your experience has been, but is not actual truth. Anybody can actually be a good sleeper, but being someone who it's it's hard for them to fall asleep your whole life, that is your body trying to tell you something is out of whack. Yes. And I will speak from a little bit of experience because we've just gone through this with my youngest who has been a great sleeper her entire life. Now she's, how old is she? 10 years old. And thank you, 10 years old. <laughs> and she suddenly, completely out of nowhere, had some absolutely random and extreme anxiety about sleeping. So of course I'm thinking, well, I'm going to take her to like a child psychologist. This is so drastic that something terrible has happened to her that she now allowing to affect her sleep. And then my husband was like, probably not and there's some other things you could do to support her right so I really had to drill into my sleep knowledge and apply that to one of my kids and it was it was so fascinating how most of it was mental it was like she had discovered that like she just believed that she couldn't fall asleep on her own anymore she had never developed any tools for falling asleep because it had always come so easily to her and what we had to do is just create a sleep hygiene. We had to create a routine and we had to put some pieces in place. But also there were a couple things that I thought might be the root cause of sudden anxiety about this. And and I basically kind of dialed it down to gut health potentially. So I did a lot of gut health support and supplementation for her. And now I know Kelly, I've talked to you about this a couple weeks ago because I was like help me with my kid I don't know what to do am I on the right track and Kelly was like yeah you're doing a really great job and I was like psycho that's just how it is when you're parenting your own kid right like you can't quite see can't quite see it the same way but now we've gone three in a row no sleep help she just goes to bed she lays there and she knows it might take her a few minutes to fall asleep and she falls asleep and she stays asleep all night. And in the morning, she's, she's been reporting that she sleeps good. So this morning, now she has all of her utmost confidence. She brought me all of her supplements and sleepy time. And was like, I don't need these anymore. Where should I put these? They're cluttering up my bedroom. And I was like, that's amazing. So let's tell, let's tell our listener who's asking this question, what are some specific tools that we can I just really appreciate that your daughter was like, get this trash out of here. Yes, it helped me so much, but now I'm done with it. And I think that that's actually a really powerful piece of it. And so just being able to have the the tools and then use them and then get to the place where you're like, okay, that was help in that season. This is not a forever thing that I have to rely on. Similar with the melatonin situation, right? So some of the things that you can be thinking about, a few handful of things. So one would be kind of calming, relaxing rhythms that you can get into, whether that is through 
like an herbal relaxing tea, like chamomile or lavender, lemon balm, something like that. Or what is your rhythm before bed each night, right? Oh, I take a bath. I put some magnesium in it. I keep the lights down low. I wear my uh, blue light blocking glasses because I'm trying to keep the interference from all the screens in my life down. Creating these types of associations with whether it's an herbal support or a rhythm type of support is similar to when you're, if you sleep train a baby or even just encourage, try to create a space for a baby to be reminded like sleep is actually something that you were designed to do. So let me create an environment in which you can thrive in your sleeping, whether or not you're actually training or not. All of those pieces of creating associations for your body is going to be so powerful. It sounds so silly, but it will have a profound effect as you actually implement them and stay on course. Yeah. And the things that you do during the day matter too. So exercising every single day, supporting your circadian rhythm by being out in the filtered morning sunlight and honoring meal times, having, you know, similar meal times. So those of you who want to take a deeper dive into some of this sleep stuff, we have shared a lot of content on it before. You can go back to circadian rhythm support episode. I'll link that in show notes. You can sign up for our email list because it comes with an automatic sleep guide. And there is also a blog on our website that goes through almost every single piece of sleep advice that we have doled out to our own clients. And we've kind of compiled it there. So there's many factors. I do appreciate that this question kind of loops into what we're talking about today because it is not uncommon for when you have thyroid dysfunction to have sleep dysfunctional sleep patterns also, or for the thyroid to affect the cortisol, which keeps somebody from being able to release the right amount of melatonin on their own to fall asleep. It all comes full circle here. I was going to say on the blog, there's every remedy that we could possibly suggest also some people are like i really want a homeopathic i really want an herb i really want a thing and that can be a really helpful tool especially if you're like for this listener who's like i've used something for so long let's swap that out right and support your system in maybe a little bit more nourishing long-term option way absolutely okay let's start out our thyroid education with a little bit of a quiz for our listeners you're gonna get it right great (laughs) okay so the thyroid is often described as a certain animal shape is how we kind of describe like the placement on the neck and what you're looking for when you're a clinician and so just to educate our audience i'm gonna give four options for what this animal shape is that we uh, describe the thyroid as Elephant ears. Well, now I have to say like Asian or African. <laughs> I mean, we have to be specific here. Uh, I mean, it's African. African mm-hmm. elephant ears. B, butterfly wing. C, dorsal fin. Or D, duck feet. I really want to go with D just because I love me some little duck feet. You're in a ducky season. I am. I don't know if I've shared with everybody. We got ducklings and they are adorable. We've had them for like a week and a half and they are the size 
her almost of a full-grown duck. It's crazy. Just needed to share that. Oh, but so fun. Furry little furry little baby animals. Yeah. They are the absolute best. They're so fun. If you follow us on Instagram, you will see some duckling content, guaranteed. Sorry. Okay, so when is the answer to this? The answer is... I can actually say it. You can say it. Okay. B. Butterfly wings. Butterfly wings. That is the shape, if you can imagine, right, the wings on both sides of the butterfly being pretty symmetrical and kind of having that curvature. That is exactly what, not exactly, but that is the gist of what the thyroid looks like and what we are feeling for and kind of just how it's placed in the neck. That's right. Not African elephant ears. I probably, I probably gave that one away that it wasn't going to be the right answer since it wasn't precise. Should have been duck feet. Dorsal fin gave me a giggle. That was great. Dorsal fin? Does he have a dorsal fin? Okay. Here are the things that thyroid affects. Let this blow your mind. Your weight, your metabolism, which is not the same as weight. It's really how your body manages energy production and assimilation. Heat production, nail and hair growth, skin texture, sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone, which listeners know affect pretty much everything, cortisol and stress response, mood and cognition, blood pressure, cholesterol, heart rate. That list probably isn't even like as expansive as it potentially could be too. It affects so much in your body that when your thyroid is off it is very common to have a pretty low threshold of it being off and people start to be like oh that's like an interesting little symptom I have there or that's something I need to like just be thinking about and then pretty soon if the functionality is declining very quickly can you get some pretty serious symptoms that people can no longer ignore yeah and Unfortunately, we don't have a time to dive in entire education on thyroid. We're just going to talk about testing today, but we will have a resource for you guys at the end to learn more. You're welcome. Some dive into actual testing pieces. And Kelly, I'm going to let you kind of take the lead on this because Kelly is our thyroid expert in our practice. I have endeavored to somewhat understand, and I think I have a good functional understanding of it, but Kelly actually looking at thyroid information <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to receive somebody's a full thyroid panel and start to put the it's like a little puzzle that you get to put together i really enjoy looking at oh well these are all actually within normal but look at these these are these couple are slightly towards the lower end of normal and that's an interesting correlation because we see these symptoms it's just it's a fun little sleuthing project for me. Yeah, so since she has fun doing it, <laughs> well, also, let's talk a little bit about why most midwives do not have functional understanding, well, of many lab values, but thyroid especially, I think it would surprise listeners to know that we did not get any individualized education on thyroid specifically in midwifery school, and you and I did two completely different programs. And probably combine preceptor training with, I don't know, six or seven different midwives in many different uh, locations. And we were not equipped to help women sort through thyroid stuff. We first opened our fist. 
And I would say also a lot of the mid like midwives that we worked with, a lot of them were not equipped to support this. And it was almost an immediate referral out, which can be helpful in some pieces. But we actually had to go out in search of training on this, how it how to understand what exactly is being tested, what those optimal and like functional levels actually are, how it impacts women's health. For something that impacts fertility, pregnancy, postpartum so intricately, it's very unfortunate that we didn't get more experience, but that was one of the reasons that we wanted to move forward and learn more and provide that kind of care because it matters so much. And we've seen women that we've worked with really dial some of these pieces in and completely change the trajectory of their health. And that is super cool to see, but it just goes to show you how wild it is that a lot of health providers for women in particular are not well-versed in this. I do know that we have a lot of clinicians who follow and listen to the podcast. Those who are listening right now and are thinking, okay, where do we get the information? Where can we find out about functional thyroid education and you know managing that better with our clients? Where would you direct them? One of the most helpful pieces for me for getting a really good baseline for understanding thyroid, for testing, for what all this means was through something called the Midwifery Finishing School. And I took that a few years ago when it first came out. Actually, you'll see my face somewhere on the testimonial page there saying something probably not so eloquent. But that was a really helpful piece. So if uh, we can link that course in the show notes. It is You get a ton of CEUs for going through it. There's a ton of information about things that you don't often get as a midwifery student, how to support women going through miscarriage. I had never even done that because my preceptor was in charge of those kind of triage calls by the time I got even licensed. And so that was just a, you know, there's different missing pieces in our education. And so that was a really helpful space. There's a ton of really great clinicians on Instagram who share great information. You can start compiling yourself. But that was a that was the first place that I felt like gave me a ton of information and a ton for protocols, that kind of stuff that's just been built on since then. Wonderful. It is. So in terms of testing, now, you, again, you may go to your clinician and request an entire panel, and their idea of what an entire panel looks like may be quite different than what you actually need. Or you may go to a provider who says, this is the only way that we will test further is if TSH, one of the levels, is out of range. Then we will continue to test the other things. Or you may just have a provider who doesn't provide the testing at all, which is or won't won't offer it to you or won't say yes to you about it, which is crazy making, but it actually does happen. We can also link in the show notes a lab online that you can actually request your own cash pay labs. So there's a bit of extra fee in that. You don't think they take insurance in order to do that, but the lab fees overall, it's not like paying insurance level. But it's something that you can take in your own hands if that is something that's needed. So we've mentioned TSH a few times. TSH is thyroid-stimulating hormone. That's the hormone that's going to, again, 
like the name suggests, is going to stimulate the thyroid to create what thyroid hormone is. So all it's doing is just like, hey, thyroid, can you help me or can you help the body produce some of that thyroid hormone? That level is basically measuring the function of the pituitary gland, the pituitary system. So that's, it is incredibly important. We do like to know what it is doing, but that is one piece of an entire puzzle, right? Understanding what's stimulating the thyroid to produce more hormone is a very small piece of what the thyroid can actually do. So as we work our way down through the rest of the lab, we have free T3. So I think actually the more I've learned that this is the one that I actually care the most about because what this one is doing is it's measuring both free and active thyroid hormone within your body. So what is actually being used, what's going on in your blood system, what's being retained. It's a really good picture of what your thyroid is doing in all the different spaces. So we really want a, at least including this to really understand what exactly is going on. The thing becomes when we look at all of these labs, it's not just, okay, free T3 looks good. It's in a normal range. We also care about what the other relationships are between these other values as well. So we have free T3 and we also have just T3. T3 is one of those main thyroid hormones. There's a few of them. There's a few thyroid hormones. It's not just one in particular, but T3 is one of the main ones. And it's going to measure the T3 that's actually bound in your system. So it's not really considered an active one, but it's sim it reminds me of like if you're getting blood sugar tested and you test your HA1C and it tells you what's been happening over the past few months, what is really going on. This is one of those more long-term markers of how your body has been managing those thyroid hormones like more long-term, which is pretty cool. It's a part of why we have to be able to look at all of them together. So sometimes we have clients in and they're like, oh, well, I have this from a couple months ago. And but then I asked for more testing and got these, you know, a few values. So let's put them, you know, and you're like, no, I actually need to see them on the day all together. How they were working together tells a story. Yeah, it absolutely does. So we have our TSH, our free T3 and the T3. Now we're going into the T4, which is another one of those thyroid hormones, T3, T4. And that is produced, so T4 is produced by the thyroid, and then it's converted into T3 when it gets to wherever it's being sent off to, whatever cell, whatever tissue. And it's going to start storing, basically, thyroid hormone. So it is a converting hormone which is a helpful piece of understanding. There are some issues depending on if your T4 is really low or your T3 is super high, the relationship between those, because it tells us a lot about how your body's able to actually convert these hormones too. So it's not just the amount of hormone, but what is actually being used and converted in the system. And then we have free T4. So we've got free T3, T3, T4, and free T4. The free T4 is basically similar to the free T3 in that it's just measuring what's left over in your circulation in your system. What is going on with the thyroid hormones that are not being used by those cells, by those tissues? How much is it that's left going through your blood at that point? And then we have reverse T3. I feel like all of these names, they're just kind of weird, right? 
And so it can be confusing. And I think when actually knowing this information is so powerful because you can understand if somebody, your care provider is like, oh, your free T3 is super low. Okay, that means what's going on in my blood system, what's actually being used is low. Okay, helpful, right? We can move forward with some information just given understanding what these labs actually mean. But the reverse T3 is the overall conversion capacity of the thyroid gland. So everything that the thyroid is doing, it's not just producing thyroid hormones. It's also converting them, converting what it's receiving, converting what it's putting out. And so reverse T3 is basically just what is the thyroid doing in terms of how it's converting everything? Yeah. Okay. And then the T3 uptake, that is the level of proteins in the blood that are carrying the thyroid hormone. So what are the proteins in your blood actually doing? How much thyroid hormone are they taking to wherever it is they're being sent off to? Those are the main things that we test for, that we're looking for. I wouldn't really skimp out on any of them because all of those pieces together tell a really good story of what your thyroid is actually doing. The thing, though, that a lot of panels skip if they are getting all of these are antibodies. And that in and of itself could be an entire episode, right? Because antibodies are any of those that are showing up in your lab work are basically indicating current autoimmune issue that either either is coming from your thyroid or is affecting your thyroid or an impending one. So it's, so it's a huge deal to understand if there are any thyroid antibodies, even if it is just a, a, a small amount that's on your lab. Basically, that's saying, but they're present. So you need to make sure you want to get that as close to zero as humanly possible, because basically it's telling you that your body's going to either mess with itself or it's already doing yeah, and you can have normal thyroid levels and have inflammation that, that flags for antibodies. So that's where we get Hashimoto's, that's where we get Graves' disease, and it is absolutely reversible and can be treated naturally. But once you get into antibody zone, I mean, now, you're, now you have an autoimmune condition and it needs a whole lot more work to get your body back in balance. And the idea behind any kind of autoimmune thing, right, is that your body starts to see something that is normally functioning in your body and is like, I think you may be an invader or some kind of foreign something, and I'm going to create something to start attacking you. And now if we have thyroid antibodies, whether those are created by the thyroid for basically itself or potentially by another organism that then is like that thyroid is going down you absolutely will start to have some symptoms. And unfortunately, if that is left unchecked for a long period of time, you can find yourself in a more lifelong struggle with hypothyroidism or hyper whatever that now, unfortunately, if it wasn't caught soon enough, is a, is a major undertaking for your life. Yeah, and last month you created an entire module on thyroid health and education. Give a quick breakdown of what that is to our listeners so that they know what type of information is 
needed as you're assessing this testing information inside of thyroid health. So like, what do women need to know about thyroid overall besides testing? Yeah, I mean, adjacent to testing is something that was briefly mentioned. A lot of just standard labs, say LabCorp or something, will have their own range of what is normal. And that is not the range that functional medicine doctors, naturopaths use. And so that's the first flag, right, is to take that somewhere else to get assessed, whether that is you utilizing your researched ranges or bringing it to somebody who can actually walk you through that. But I think it's helpful to realize some of these root causes that go into it are absolutely reversible just simply by nutrition, lifestyle choices, supplementation. Those are like the big, like really lifestyle types of things that can directly impact what is going on. I think there's it's it's hard because it can be very personalized of what is actually needed given what is going on with your particular situation. But overall, the other recommendations that we make for pretty much any type of balancing are going to be so important. In particular, pulling out all inflammatory foods, including and actually really most specifically would be gluten and soy. Taking those out first off and then reassessing everything else that you want to eat or need to eat will be one of the quickest wins that you can get because those absolutely inflame everybody who has thyroid issues, whether you feel that inflammation from eating it or not, as well as all those other lifestyle things, right? Getting rid of the endocrine disorders or of endocrine disruptors and detox and drainage pathways and moving your body, getting sunlight. There's a lot of correlation between nutrition depletions and thyroid issues. So vitamin D comes up a lot. Certain minerals come up a lot, selenium in particular, iodine, depending on your situation. And so it's helpful to realize you are not a slave to whatever it is your thyroid is doing, but it will take intentional steps moving forward yeah and sometimes that involves an endocrinologist and a specialist on board to help you manage that sometimes medication is the very best next step to getting you feeling good and being able to function again for women who are already on thyroid medication you can know that once you get into a stable place and have the right support and a really good plan on board you there's many many women who are good candidates for coming off of thyroid medication and managing their thyroid naturally. Yeah, it was interesting to pull all of the information together that I have collected over the last few years to put it together into this resource that talks about just general thyroid health, like how to support your thyroid, even if you're not quite sure what it's doing. Like, I just want to be kind to my thyroid, especially postpartum. There's a ton of women who are not diagnosed or misdiagnosed postpartum with depression and things like that when it's really connected to thyroid functioning. And to be able to pull that together and witness like what's going on when your thyroid is overactive, what's going on when it's underactive, how do those differ? How can we support your system? What are like the individual things that one you can do or you can take or you can shift in your lifestyle? It was 
really fascinating to me that even though this topic can seem very confusing or kind of other to a lot of women, a lot of the recommendations are very foundational and that can feel maybe a little frustrating, but are super powerful and a ton of research that's backed up with it too. It's exciting. It empowers women to take the information and the decision for themselves with it, which potentially they have never been given that piece of advice before that was possible. So this this particular module for all of the thyroid things that Kelly just explained is only available inside the membership currently. But the waitlist for the membership is open. And if you are on that waitlist, you are going to find out right away once we open the doors to membership again probably sometime this summer it could be coming up really soon we haven't figured it out yet i'm sure that we will we'll get there um so i would put a link in the show notes to the wait list so that if you are interested in having this information in your hands that is one way to do it and then you know we'll keep talking about some of this stuff on future episodes as well Absolutely. So hopefully this was a helpful foundational episode. You're feeling more confident as you are looking towards what you want to get tested, what to request when testing, and what the heck those things even mean when you're getting tested and when you're looking at some of your results. And there you go. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. See you next week. Bye.